Talking Illinois High School Football. If your goals are as high as you talk about, tonight's the night you go out and just take one more step. It's a view from the West. And it starts right now! Welcome back to View from the West podcast. I'm your host, Greg Armstrong, joined once again, as always, by Mitch Stormer. Mitch, I was in DeKalb to see Lena Winslow, the 1A state champions, back-to-back state champions in Class 1A. You were watching on TV. You were watching all weekend long, keeping everybody up to date on Twitter. Great job on that end, by the way. It was fantastic. I was following along like everybody else. So job well done, but... Mitch, what a weekend of high school football. It was great to have state championships back again after, you know, after we missed out on it, you know, for so long. Yeah, let, let alone, you know, having a team that, that we follow playing for one, but just having it in general. Um, you, you know, we, we talk about it a lot on the show that how, how special the time playoffs are. Um, and then when it all kind of kind of culminates to this weekend, this two-day weekend of eight games for, you know, the best teams in Illinois. Um, especially every year and this year was no, you know, no different. All eight games were, were a lot of fun, uh, exciting football. Uh, but again, obviously our attention was, uh, was focused on the, the first game on Friday, uh, Friday morning. Yeah. So Lena Winslow gets the win 38 to 25 over Carrollton. They are back-to-back state champions. As we referenced Mitch, we'll get into that game. We'll do a little bit of a breakdown on every game one through eight a, We'll talk about the highlights, the players, you know, the the things that stood out to us as we watched throughout the weekend. Before we get into all that, I do want to give a plug for, if you haven't heard it yet, go back and listen to our state championship instant reacts podcast. We were joined by Kyle Kampmeyer from NUICfootball.com and my intern for the day, my dad, Rick Armstrong, yep. joined us for the View from the West instant reacts podcast. We got done with the with covering the game. We got the post-game reaction, and then me and Kyle and, and my dad walked uh, walked off the sidelines and hit record and just kind of started talking about what stood out to us in the game. It's great to get his perspective from the Northwest Upstate Illini. He know, his depth of knowledge on that conference is mm-hmm. amazing. So, you know, just to get kind of his thoughts as he, you know, walked off and saw another state championship. And, man, you could tell, like, he, he takes – extreme pride and when when schools from the NUIC come out with that win like he's loving it and and I can't blame him because it's it's a ton of fun for that area for all those communities you know especially for Lena Winslow obviously but for all the teams in the conference to see another win from that conference another notch in the belt you know it's just a, a huge accomplishment yeah uh obviously and we'll get into the the history of of what this means for the conference and what this means for Lena um, and, and yeah, like you said, Kyle does a great job. And I imagine he did have a lot of fun, you know, sitting in a press box when it was 22 degrees outside. <laughs> but, uh, I do imagine he enjoyed watching this one from, from the high rises. So, uh, yeah. And you're going to, if you're going to watch a team win, you might as well do it in style. Yep. He was down there at the end. He, he came okay. down at the end and, it, okay. and his wife was walking the sideline, taking photos. So he gave yeah. big credit to her because she was, she was kind of roaming the sidelines, getting the photos for NUICfootball.com. So, uh, Overall, you know, just a ton of fun to be there. And Mitch, we'll we'll break it down. We'll start. Lena Winslow gets the 38-25 win, like we said. And Mitch, how about the give me the nugget that you learned about not just Lena Winslow getting to the state championship game, but literally how they get to the state championship game. I love this. 
Yeah. So this, so this was, uh, this came from Twitter, uh, a follower of, of ours. His name is Sean Knox. He's actually a coach at Athens for football and baseball. Um, he, he had said that he, well, let me bring this back. Um, I believe it was, I believe it was Steve Susie who had, who had tweeted out something like, you know, Oh, insert Mari Roby does everything, but drive the bus sort yeah. of, you know, comment. And then Sean Knox responded like, well, actually, uh, so he found Lena's bus driver at the game. And unfortunately I don't have his name. It wasn't tweeted out. So I don't have that. Uh, but, but Sean said that he spoke to the bus driver who has driven Lena to all five of their state championship games. How cool is that? Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, you know, the old adage, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know? So, well, well you know, <laughs> and, and you know, sometimes if you, if you don't have, uh, you know, that available, you might hire out a, a, sure. a contract company, a, you know, a company driver who, who doesn't know you from Adam, but, uh, to have the same bus driver who maybe he, you know, buses for the school and had those kids for a long time. So, uh, hard to say, but either way, uh, 11 years of driving the team to, to state championships. That's a, that's a nice uh, lucky charm to have maybe. Yeah. So Mitch, let's get into the game here. You know, Lena would, um, get out to a six, nothing lead. Jake Zeal bust through for a 60 yard run. Really impressive. The way he kind of broke through the line and he was gone. That puts him up six, nothing, but things got interesting from there. Lena <laughs> yeah. uncharacteristically three first half turnovers. They actually fumbled on their first drive of the game. Yep. They scored the Jake Zeal touchdown, which we just referenced. They then have an interception in the red zone. Might have been right in the end zone. It was. Um, and then they also had a fumbled punt, a muffed yep. punt that Carrollton then recovered. They ended up being down 7-6. They were still right in the game. But certainly, this gave all the momentum to Carrollton at that point. But man, when Lena Winslow is looking for a spark, Look no further than Mari Roby. Mitch, he took over this game. It was it was impressive. Yeah, well, we were just laughing before we we hit record um, that there were 43 points scored altogether in the second quarter. And for a while there, watching on on, on TV, um, and you know, I, I was I was doing some other things. I was I was washing dishes, couple you know, things in the kitchen, uh, recovering from Thanksgiving, and I, I couldn't take my eyes away from the game because it seemed like there was a score every possession and there, and there really was looking at, you know, the timestamps of when teams scored nine fifty one left in the second quarter, seven fifty seven left, seven forty one left two eighteen left one fifty four left. So, um, and even when Roby scored again with a minute left. So yeah, the second quarter was, was just bonkers and it really set this game apart. Um, and, and like you said, those three turnovers were uncharacteristic and really, not to take away from what Carrollton was doing, but it really was the only thing that kept them in that game early on. Um, that, that interception did come in the end zone um, on, on their very first possession. Like you referenced that fumble uh, Lena was in the end zone or, or sorry, in the red zone there too. So that's yep. two red zone turnovers right away that could have turned into scores. Um, I don't remember. I think they, I think Carrollton did score off of that muffed punt. I, I don't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure that they, I'm pretty sure they did. So yeah, if if those hadn't happened, what would this game have looked like? And, and again, not taking anything away from Carrollton, because I thought that they really showed that they were a pretty good team. Um, you know, Grant Pullman was was everything as advertised. But um, yeah, that second quarter and Mari Roby, like you referenced, was really just <laughs> it was awesome to see. Yeah, it was absolutely awesome to see. Awesome to cover, because when yeah. uh, when 
as, as a videographer, when you see him make that cut and you know he's running towards your sideline, towards where I'm standing, yep. man, my eyes get wide open because that's just the most exciting play when you know he's running right by you. And he did twice in two of those yep. runs. Um, yeah, like I said, when they needed a spark, he absolutely took over. But on the opposite side, Pullman and Carrollton did not go away. I mean, yeah. you know, you look at the drive, the scoring drives, and it was 14-7, then it was 14-13, then it was 22-13, then it was 22-19. Carrollton came right back yeah. and scored again. And it really wasn't until Roby scored the third time on that 47-yard run to make it 30-19. to yep. Carrollton got the ball back. Right. And who else but Mari Roby comes up with the interception before the half to close it out at 30 to 19. So even when it was going back and forth and you thought, man, Carrollton's not going away, I, I give him a bunch of credit. But once you got to that lead at halftime, it really, you felt safe. You, you felt like if you're Lena Winslow, you felt safe going into the half. Yeah. And even despite being up 11 at the time, that interception almost kind of felt like a turning point. Because not only did it stop Carrollton from scoring before the half, but Lena got the ball back to start the third quarter. Yeah. Um, so, again, with, with everything that happened, and it looked like the tides were turning towards Lena Winslow, um, you know, you never know if Carrollton would have scored on that drive. So that interception really did feel like that was, that was the end. Um, really, I, I thought it was. Even, with, even when Carrollton came back and had that long drive to start the third quarter and they scored, still really never felt to me like it was in danger. So what's really fascinating to me is Lena Winslow, you said, got the ball at the beginning of the second half. They couldn't yep. do anything. They could not capitalize. It's not until four minutes and 51 seconds left in the third quarter that Carrollton scores. And at that point, both teams had scored four touchdowns. Yep. The difference being the extra point or the two-point conversion attempts right. that Lena Winslow was able to get and that Carrollton did not. So right. that's what's funny to me is that they had scored the same amount of touchdowns, but the lead was 30-25 in favor of Lena Winslow. And, but you really didn't feel like Lena was in danger. Yeah. And that was the thing, too, that was nice to see because we talked about, um, I, think it, I think it goes back to the Fulton game, uh, the quarterfinal game, where, where Lena really couldn't <laughs> convert a two-point conversion. And that was kind of kind of a thing like they were scoring so easily and they couldn't punch it in from three yards out so um yeah it was nice that they they were able to figure that out I mean who else so it was Mario Roby you know taking it in um and flip side of that like you said I know um I think it was Luke Benson intercepted a two-point conversion for Carrollton once um that they stopped a run on another one so yeah it's it's those little things and we'll talk about this a little bit more when we get to another game uh that that occurred over the weekend when when we're talking about conversions and what they, what they mean. Um, but they add up. And like you said, they certainly did. Cause when you get to that point in the third quarter, you scored the same amount of touchdowns, but it's still a five point difference. Yep. So it was a five point difference at that point. Lena Winslow did manage to come down to the beginning of the fourth quarter. Luke Benson punches it in from one yard out. Mari Roby goes in on the two point conversion. That would make it 38, 25. That would end up being your final score. Thanks to some defensive effort from Lena Winslow and that's where I, I want to talk about next is that yeah. Lena Winslow's defense showed up when they needed to. They yeah. were, you know, the, the offensive turnovers didn't help them out in the beginning. And they were able to, Carrollton was able to capitalize a couple times. But ultimately, when they needed stops, they got the stops. What stood out to me was two big time plays 
back-to-back plays from Brody Mann. He got a sack and another tackle for loss when they really needed it in the second half. And that was a huge turning point, I think, defensively for momentum in that second half to carry them to the victory. Yeah, I I remember what two plays you're talking about. And, you know, up until that point, Pullman, uh, Carrollson's quarterback, was really having – having his way a little bit, you know, he, he had had a couple long runs. I think one of his touchdowns was 60 some yards. And so, um, you know, pretty good escapability, but you saw that one play that you're, you're referring to where, where man was on a blitz and he went right through and, and got him from behind. Um, and, and then they came up, I think they tried just a, an out pass um, into the flat and he was right there. So yeah, he, he was impressive. The, the whole, you know, uh, defensive unit as, as they have been all year, you know, um, I don't know that they got as much recognition as, as the offense did, which is not probably as fair as it, it should have been um, because that unit was really good all, all season, really good when it mattered in this game. Um, and to not to take away from that defensive effort, Carrollton did have some mistakes. They had a lot of dropped passes in this game. Yeah. Um, a couple in the end zone, or at least a couple that would have extended drives. Certainly in that last drive of the game, I saw at least two drop passes that might have either gotten them some yardage or maybe even a first down. Um, there was one in the first half that they dropped in the end zone. So, again, things like that you can't have, but, you know, Lena was was there uh, regardless. Yeah, looking at Brody Mann's numbers on the defensive side of the ball, eight total tackles, he had a sack. He had four tackles for loss, totaling 19 yards. It just felt like he was all over the field. And, you know, we saw flashes of that throughout the season. Certainly, we saw him show up week in and week out. I saw it firsthand in the Fulton game, in the quarterfinal game, too, just where, I mean, it would he would come from out of nowhere, out of my camera shot, just mm-hmm. fly into the picture and make the tackle. He did yep. that several times in this game as well. So just a great effort from him. Mitch, I think what really what I loved about it is, is that in the one, a game, most of the time you're seeing the guys making plays on defense. I referenced this, in the instant reacts podcast too. the guys making plays on defense are usually some of your best offensive players. And you know, you're, you're usually outshadowing their defensive efforts because how good they are in offense. I love that Brody man is a defensive first guy. And it seems like he really took pride in it. I mean, he took pride on being kind of that, go-to guy on their defensive side of the ball and he led him to a state championship yeah um conversely too i thought that same way with luke benson who only threw one pass in this game yep and i think he gets he, he should get a lot more credit as that quarterback um you know running a wishbone offense is not easy um and to because uh, a lot of their scoring plays they seem to be on either counters or traps or something um that that might have been play action or he might have reversed his feet in a certain way so um, one, he should get a lot more credit on that end, even though the numbers might not show it. Uh, but defensively, I thought for a couple of drives in the first half that he was going to get an interception because he was right there, whether it was guarding uh, you know, the, their All-State receiver in, in Kyle Leonard um, or their, uh, their other receiver, uh, I believe his name was Gus Coonrod. And then he, he ended up did coming up with that interception on the, on the two-point conversion. So, um, yeah, effort like that. Whether you're whether you're playing both ways, whether you're you're defensive first, you saw that a lot in this game. Yeah. So we've talked about Mari Roby. You know, he's he's the MVP of the game. Trying to pull up his uh, his stats, his numbers here, real quick. Twenty seven carries for two hundred and forty one yards and three scores. Yeah, just 
crazy. I mean, to show up on the biggest stage is, you know, I think that's what's so impressive is that, you know, the moment called for, for somebody to step up and, and, and he's the guy, I mean, he's, he's the guy they turn to and his Mitch, his postseason when you can really see that he turned that corner and maybe getting back to darn near close to a hundred percent coming off a pretty tough injury. Yep. His, his numbers are remarkable in this postseason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was, it was such a good way to see. And we, we talked about it before where, you know, Lino was kind of in uncharted territory where they were coming in with two losses and then they played Aurora Christian. And that was when I don't, I don't remember Roby stats that game, but it was right then that you thought, okay, maybe, maybe they're back. And they did it for the next, what, four or five games, um, five games, I guess it was. So yeah, it was, it was such a, an impressive performance from him. I think he was over 200 at half. Maybe I might be getting that wrong and not to take away from, you know, what else they did. Jake Zeal, obviously he had that long touchdown run. He ended up with 127 yards on the ground. Um, Gage Dunker, who's a sophomore, who I think is probably going to be taking the load, you know, now that some of these guys are starting to graduate, um, really capped off the game because he was their ball carrier on, I think they only ran two plays on their very last possession around the clock. Um, and he converted a first down for him. I think it was like a third and eight maybe. So, um, you know, re- really just impressive, you know, when you don't have any passing yards um, and you win a game like this, uh, you can look at your rushing yards. And when you see that they put up 452, it starts to add up pretty quick. So uh, this was a, this was a classic Lena Winslow game. Yeah. And I, you know, we'll, we named a lot of them, but, you know, go through the list, Jake Zeal, Gage Dunker, Brady Eilders, Ethan Fye, you know, those guys all were contributing in the backfield, whether it was in the state championship game in the playoffs or throughout the regular season, you know, it was for different times in the year. It was, it was a committee, you know, and Ethan Fye led the way for a long time and Mari Roby stepped in and kind of led the way in the playoffs. And either way, no matter how you did it, you get to the state championship and, and no credit to those guys. What I, what I thought was really cool was in the post game, a um, couple of reporters were asking Mari Roby about, um, you know, had he talked to his brother, Ravion <laughs> Valentine was mm-hmm. the running back in 2017 was the mm-hmm. big, you know, go-to back who ended yep. up playing at Northern Illinois and has right. now stepped out of a playing role and more into like a strength coaching role uh, within the program still. So he's still at Northern Illinois hearing Mari talk about, you know, those phone calls that he would have with Ravion before the game is so cool. You know, that yep. to know that older brother is giving him notes on things he sees on film or, you know, just little tips and tricks. And from a kid, you know, from a guy who's been there, who's done that. Yep. It's so cool. And Mitch, tell me about, you know, this story that they're not the only brothers the, the, right. the you know, it's, it's a whole family of brothers now that have been through Lena Winslow winning state titles. Yeah. So there was an article from the Rockford Register star. I, I believe it came out today. It might've came out yesterday, but either way uh, I read it and you read it today. Uh, but with, with Mari uh, and, and his three brothers, they now have six championships uh, between them. Um all, all for Lena. Uh, Roby had this year in 2019. Yep. Uh, Ravion had 2017. Bobby Brown had 2017. And then Ronnie Valentine, Valentine was in 2017 and 2019. So six titles, but, you know, five team titles, but a couple of those overlapped. Yep. Um, and, and they're all brothers. They're part of a large adopted family from uh, Dan and Teresa Brown of Lena. So what, what an amazing story. Um, 
you know, and now that uh, they don't have uh, any, any more to play, that that is the end of the line. So um, that that is a pretty cool way to go out to uh, to accomplish that with with your brothers and with that family. Yeah, in talking to Mari Roby after the game, seems like a great kid. Um, you know, seems like very genuine. You know, I'm I'm really curious to see where he ends up. I mean, it, loads of talent, but just because of the way the COVID year hit, on top of the fact that then he was injured during that year. I think that he's, you know, hasn't had the chance to really show his skills. So yeah, I'm just, I hope that there's a college coach out there that man, they can see that this is a, you know, a dynamic athlete that you could use somewhere on a football field at yep. some level of college football. So, yep. you know, and plenty of other players, you know, on this Lena team that, you know, I hope they get the chance to the next level if that's what they want to do, because, you know, they've played at a very high level in, in class one a here to come away with two state titles. You know, a lot of them have. So Credit to Lena Winslow. Um, it was a lot of fun to be there walking the sidelines. And Lena Winslow brought a great fan base. They were loud. They were into it. So, you know, huge credit to the Lena Winslow Panthers community, you know, for coming out in full force. Um, yep. Just a ton of fun. Mitch, they're back-to-back -back state champions. They've now won five state championships in 11 seasons. Yep. In 11 playoff seasons, they won five state championships. The yep. NUIC has won every state championship in class 1A going back to 2016. Mm -hmm. So that's split between Lena and Forreston. So yep. just, you're just remarkable um, what this conference continues to do. And it almost continues to top itself, you know, year in and year out. And so, hey, I'm not going to lie. I'm already excited for next year and seeing, you know, I think Lena Winslow is going to be right there in the mix. but where does Forreston fall in and what's Galena have coming back? And, you know, Dupec obviously in the, in the three, a level, yep. you know, I, it's exciting. It's a lot of exciting stuff year in and year out. This conference always produces at a high level late in the season. Yeah. A uh, little, little too early to do our, our 2022 previews. Um, but I think a lot of teams are going to look a lot differently. I think, you know, especially with this Lena team, it was very, uh, you know, senior driven, but they played a lot of underclassmen too for experience. So, um, uh, and regardless what the team is going to look like or what the conference is going to look like, it still holds true that the 1A title goes through the NUIC um, and it is theirs until someone uh, can take it. Yep, absolutely. So like we had already referenced, if you want to go back and hear more about the Class 1A state championship game, go back and listen to our Instant Reacts podcast, the state championship edition from Friday afternoon, literally right after we walked off the sideline. Go check that out if you haven't already. Well, and too, if you're if you're more of a highlight person, just go to our Twitter feed, and I think the pin tweet is the is the highlights that you would put together. So, yep. um, if you haven't seen the game yet, and, and you know can't find a replay of it, Greg's got the the condensed version uh, with all the scores uh, for for Lena Winslow, and it's it's a it's a really nice really nice tape uh, for for us to have and for the team to share. So uh, that's a job well done on your part. Well, thank you, uh, Mitch. Before we move into uh, the rest of the classes. I do yeah. want to make a quick, a quick programming note. Yeah. We're going to take next week off. Next week's going to be a bye week for us. Yep. We'll be back strong in two weeks, and we're going to do our best from the West awards in 2021. Yep. Mitch, I'm guessing the Mari Roby will be somewhere in the discussion in some of that in that podcast. Yeah, if we if we've got a player of the year, which I imagine that we will, uh boy, you you You've got competition with with Roby, with with Matthew Bailey from uh, yeah. with Moline. Uh, 
you know, Easton Schischler from, uh, from a town. So, um, yeah, there, there's going to be a lot of, of discussion that we're going to have to go through if we're going to have to narrow it down to, to that, because, uh, another great year of, of great talent in the area that we cover and, uh, we'll try our best to sum it up, uh, the best way we can. Well, Mitch, let's go through the rest of the state championship games. I, I got to be honest. I don't want to go in order because I think okay. I got to start. We got to start in class 6A. Okay. Carrie Grove gets the upset win over East St. Louis, 37-36. Mitch, I had a chance to take in a lot of this game. Yeah. And I thought it was going to be the most intriguing matchup that we saw in the weekend. And I think I it proved to be right. Carrie Grove comes away with what some said is the biggest upset in a state championship game ever in the, in history. I, I don't know that I have the context at my hands right now to really say yes or no. Right. But somebody's out there saying it. So that, that is a huge, huge win for Kerry Grove. Well, and just take it back to the beginning of the year um, because Kerry Grove was, first of all, they were the, the top ranked team in six, a in this bracket. So that's, that's why it's hard to say it was a bit of an upset without context. But yeah. They were also, they were, all, they were also the number one team at the beginning of the year at six, eight until it was decided that East St. Louis was going to play six, a, there was some discussion if they were going to go to seven, I think there might've been discussion if they were going to play five um, or eight, maybe it was, maybe it went the other way, but either way, once it landed on that, they were going to play six, Kerry Grove just automatically got, got shoved down to the second spot. Um, and, and East St. Louis, you know, did what they did. They played somewhat of a nationwide schedule, uh, going to Florida and California, um, and, and then, you know, took care of the rest. So, you know, they get a four seed and, and you see this game and you see, well, yeah, the one seed beat the four seed, but it's not that simple because this East St. Louis team is loaded with D one players, players that will absolutely be playing on Saturdays. Um, and it just, it goes to show what type of team Kerry Grove had. Uh, to to really pull this one off. Yeah, well, Mitch, when you go through the game, I mean, it was it was back and forth to start yep. this one out. Uh, Luther Burden III, who was a name we talked about last week, um, Mizzou commit, you know, just unbelievable football player. Yep. He is, you know, dangerous at all times. And I know, you know, from hearing post-game comments, Kerry Grove knew they had to key on him. They had to do anything they could to slow him down or stop him. And early in the game, it looked like that was going to be, you know, as hard as advertised. He has a 53-yard touchdown reception to quickly make it 8-0. Kerry Grove comes back and scores to make it 8-8. East St. Louis then bounces back on their next drive. They score to make it 14-8. Back we go. Kerry Grove scores 15-14. They take a lead. So at this point, neither team has been stopped. And, and that was just the first quarter. <laughs> yes, they're, they're going back and forth. Neither team can stop one another. East St. Louis goes up 20 to 15. Kerry Grove comes back, goes up 23-20. This is where things get interesting. Yep. 23-20 with three minutes, 58 seconds left in the second quarter. And out of nowhere, they bring they go out with an onside kick attempt and yep. they get it. They catch East St. Louis off guard, get an onside kick. They then march down and score to make it 30 to 20. And that's the score at halftime. Mm -hmm. And that is a huge turning point in this game because they knew they were struggling to slow down East St. Louis, but also East St. Louis was struggling to slow them down. 
Right. So they break out this onside kick and get it and build a 10-point lead. So now we go to the third quarter, and here he is again, Burden the third, a 12-yard touchdown pass. That makes it 30-28. But Kerry Grove comes back in the fourth quarter. Nick Hissong, a nine-yard touchdown run to make it 37-28. And at this point, you're thinking, you know, Kerry Grove, they, you know, they might pull this off. Not, right. not so fast. <laughs> not so fast, Mitch. Because again, Luther Burden the third. On, a, on every kickoff that Kerry Grove did, they kicked away from him. They kicked to the opposite side of the field. In the fourth quarter, in what ended up being the last kickoff of the game, yep. they do again. They kick away from him. Burden runs across the field, grabs the ball himself. And in the postgame interviews, he basically said, like, that was not something that was designed. It wasn't called by a coach. I just knew I had to make a play. So, you know, give credit to a playmaker who just yep. kind of seized a moment. Sure enough, he runs it back 80 yards. I mean, that, what a dynamic weapon, you know, that they that this East St. Louis team has. Yep. So that makes it 37-36. Kerry Grove drives downfield. They fumble on a fourth down to give it back to East St. Louis. East St. Louis has a couple penalties that would set them back, but they still look like they were going to march downfield. You know, yep. they had a big sack. In the very next play, or no, I'm sorry, they had an um, a, a pass completion, and then they had pressure on the quarterback for East St. Louis. Kerry Grove put pressure on him. As he's being wrapped up, I think East St. Louis's quarterback trying to make a play. Yeah. Um, it's Robert Battle. I believe Pops is the, the name he goes by. Um, trying to make a play, tries to scramble out of the sack, throws a wild pass right into the arms of a Cary Grove defender. I yep. believe Nick Riley was the name of the uh, defender waiting. Mitch, he's a tight end that they threw in on that play. He only played one defensive snap all game. Unbelievable. It's it's Noah Riley. Okay. Um, and, and yeah, that's, uh, again, what, what more could you ask for, right? Um, he had one reception during the game and then they threw him in on defense as just trying to get athletes on the field, just trying to be able to, you know, make sure you can cover as much ground with your fast guys. Yeah. And I, I don't know that he must not play a lot of defense and then to make his, uh, his one shining moment, uh, <laughs> a, a game clinching interception uh, in an upset. That's, that's, uh, you know, storybook stuff right there. Yeah. Well, I give him huge credit. Cause I mean, not only to come up with the interception, but just the reaction time to not yeah. let that ball bounce off your chest. Cause it was yep. such a wild throw that was so unexpected for him to just be able to corral it. I guess that's, you know, that's yep. why they had him on the field. He's, he was an athlete, you know, with, with the, you know, with the skills to get the job done. Um, so Nicholas, his song ends up with, do you have his numbers on the game, Mitch? Yeah. So he ended up 32 carries um, for 224 yards and two TDs. And then it was with about, it was on that drive that you mentioned that ended in a fumble. It was around four minutes left. Yeah. Uh, ends up, he, he didn't have the ball. It was a non-contact play. Um, and, and unfortunately we kind of, we're going to know how that ends up a lot anymore these days. Uh, it did confirm that he did tear his ACL. Didn't dampen his spirits one bit. You know, he had done all the damage already. 
Yeah. Um, and he could have cared less once the, uh, the final was there, but, uh, yeah, what a, what a performance he had, he had done again, 224 yards in the game. So I think he actually, I think he did get hurt on a play where he was running the ball okay. and he tried to stay in. Okay. He, he got up and kind of walked, obviously walked very slowly back to the huddle. Yeah. But I think in the moment he was trying to stay in the game. And on the next play, you could tell that it, something wasn't right. Okay. And, um, you know, that was even watching the game with no stakes. You just had that sinking feeling like, oh, man, don't tell me that, you know, he's going to go down with injury. And yep. then East St. Louis is going to come back and score. And just that, you know, that gut feeling of like, oh, that would be a really ugly way to lose for Kerry Grove. Yeah. You know, obviously it would it was a great game. East St. Louis certainly, you know, would have been deserving of the victory, but you just felt good for, you know, for his song and for the rest of the team that that wasn't the defining, you know, end moment of him getting hurt and they lost the game. They held on to win it. So credit yeah. to Kerry Grove. It was just a great game. Just, you know, yeah. really fun to watch. Yeah. W- widely praised as, as maybe the, the greatest uh, uh, state championship football games in Illinois history. So yeah. Uh, if you have a chance, if you have some time to find a replay of that game or or find the highlights, do yourself a favor and find them because yeah, this this was a lot of fun. And uh, congrats to Kerry Grove. Yeah, several several other quick notes in the articles that I had read. Um, I was watching the game, and at one point, Kerry Grove lined up like they were going to go for a fourth down, fairly I think in their own territory. Yeah, and it was in the second half of the game, I believe. Yes, it and, was. Um, they lined up. And then East St. Louis actually called a timeout. They came back out and Cary Grove stayed in the same formation as if they're going for it. And I give credit to Cary Grove's coaching staff for yeah. kind of just, you know, kind of out maneuvering, out thinking um, East St. Louis because yeah. East St. Louis's personnel was, I think, in, in a state of confusion because the quarterback dropped back for Cary Grove, who's also their punter. East St. Louis has no one back waiting to receive the punt. That being what would have been burden. Right. Who was not on the field at the time. The punt takes a great bounce on the turf goes 62 yards. So just kind of a, you know, just a way to catch East St. Louis off guard and make sure the burden wasn't in the game to do the damage as mm-hmm. a punt returner. And it proved out to be huge, a huge turn of momentum and a huge, you know, field shifter for Kerry Grove. They also had a big conversion, I believe, on a fourth down and 17. They had a pass play. They converted Mm -hmm. on a fourth down and 17. So just, you know, reading post game after the, you know, afterwards, Kerry Grove coaches said they had to call a perfect game. They knew that they had to get everything right. And for the most part, man, they, I think they did. I think they came pretty darn close to calling a perfect game and their athletes were there to execute. Yeah. They had to play chess in a checker match. um, Yeah. Yeah. East St. Louis and they, they did it their perfection. So uh, again, uh, kudos to them. Uh, and that's, that was a great game. Well, Mitch, let's start going through the list. Then we'll go back yeah. to class two a, I was there for half of this game, but I'll be honest. I really didn't have a chance to watch it because I was in the middle of doing interviews and kind of finishing up our coverage of Lena Winslow. Yeah. So Mitch, I'll let you take over here, read through uh, Wilmington gets the 27 or sorry, 24 to seven win over Nashville. what do we see in this one? Yeah, this was, this was a game that, you know, Wilmington really ran their wishbone offense to perfection in terms of ball control. Um, we, we saw them put up a lot of points in the playoffs. Nashville kind of slowed them down, but they were still able to execute pretty well. Uh, but really what won this game for Wilmington was a really stout defense. Um, 
the the Nashville team, they had over 5,000 yards of offense in the regular – or sorry, in the season up to that point, regular season plus the playoff game. The Wilmington defense held them to just 107 yards and also blocked a punt along the way. So they really held this game in check uh, against the Hornets. At one point late in the game, uh, Wilmington's main running back, Jacob Friddle, had 30 carries. And at the time, that was two more than Nashville had total plays. So I don't know how that ended, if that stat held true. Uh, but I know that it was late in the fourth. They, they ran that stat across, the, uh, across the, the broadcast there, that he alone had ran more plays than the entire Nashville team did. So uh, Wilmington, you know, they were number one for a lot of the season, undefeated, uh, a well-deserved state championship here. Yeah, so Mitch, this Wilmington team, like you said, that wishbone offense that they run to perfection. I mean, they don't pass the ball a whole lot because they don't need to. Same yeah. recipe that Lena Winslow used for a state championship game and for a th- state championship victory. And let's go down into class 3A. Yeah. I mean, Byron, yeah. you know. Right. That was really the – I'm looking at the games really all the way through almost is how that went. And we'll, we'll get to that here. Uh, other, other than the 70 game where they passed a lot, every, every other game was run heavy. Uh, but, yeah, 3A another local ish team that you know we have some ties to Byron yep. uh this is this was their third straight 3A state championship appearance they had lost their their two previous tries both by four points um and then even coming into this game they had won their quarterfinal and their semifinal game in the last 10 seconds both games in the last 10 seconds um obviously the big one in the semifinal against IC Catholic didn't need any of those heroics in this one. This one was, was over pretty early. Um, Ethan Paulskill, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He was all over the field. He had four touchdowns. He, he was running. He was receiving. Uh, he was all over for them and just helped that offense roll to 437 yards of offense as a team. Uh, and they win 35-7. to seven. Unfortunately for Tolono, a great year. This was their sixth championship appearance. They have finished runner-up in all six tries. Yeah, that's that's tough. I we we talked about it in the in the game preview that something had to give here. The Tolono Unity was looking for a state championship, and Byron was looking for one after losing two in a row. Byron comes away with the win, and huge credit to Byron, man. They were a good team, you know, yep. all year, obviously, but to win the way they did the last two weeks to get to this state championship game. I mean, just what a what a way, what a playoff run. Well, Greg, I look no further than what they were wearing that night. Um, yes. Look, they looked great. I'm, I'm going to have to try and remember our picks here. Um, but we, I, I think one of us, I think I took Byron because they were, or maybe I took Tolono. I really don't remember. But anyway, uh, Byron. Uh, I up. believe, I believe I took Tolono Unity and you took Byron. So. Okay. Yeah, uh, and Byron came out in their all black uniform, which I think we both agreed was their best look. So, yep. yeah, that one that one held true. So they looked good, played good, and uh, they here they are with the three A championship. Well, and as long as we're on the uh, the uniform topic, Mitch, the home team, the quote unquote, yeah. the team wearing the colored jersey, the home colors, right. they did very well this weekend. Undefeated, yeah, um, yeah, and and really, and I I guess I learned this too. 7A and 8A don't do north and south. Yeah, they do straight uh, 1 through 32. Most, yep. It's mostly, uh, you know, Chicago or bigger schools. Um, but but anyway, 1 through 6, all the north bracket teams won, which happened to be the home teams, and then it happened in the same uh, same classes for 7A and 8A. So, 
yeah, a little uh, uh, interesting nugget, uh, I guess. So uh, pretty, pretty cool to see. All right. Well, Mitch, let's move into class 4A, Joliet Catholic. Yeah. Man, Joliet Catholic. What, do you, what else do you have to say about them? They looked real good. 56 to 27, they get the win over Sacred Heart Griffin. I was able to watch a little bit of this one. Um, but man, tell me, tell me about Jordan Anderson. Yeah, so uh Julia Catholic has <laughs> and this this again would go into the the unboundary school discussion. Um, but Julia Catholic may or may not be an exception to that because they've won so many and they've won it in now three different classes. But they have two players going to Illinois. One uh, the running back, Jordan Anderson, they've got a linebacker. I believe his name is Malachi Hood, I think. Um, but Jordan Anderson, I don't know his, his stats in terms of how much or how tall he is and how much he weighs. Head and shoulders above and beyond any player on Sacred Heart's defense. It, it looks like, you know, a high schooler playing in – a, a junior tackle game almost just how big he was and how good he was. It's obvious. He's going to Illinois um, rushed for a record 306 yards. That was a record for a four, a state championship game. He also, so he had four touchdowns on the ground. He also had 69 yards receiving and a touchdown. Oh, so geez. he was everywhere. They also have another, another running back that was really, that really set their, uh, their attack in motion. And I'm going to try and do this on the fly. Vinny, I am a tone. Ianatone yeah, looks good. Looks good. Ianatona is, I believe, how that's <laughs> pronounced. Um, really a strong fullback. He had 123 yards, uh, and the Hilltoppers add to their IHSA leading 15th state title. Uh, and I don't know if they had won one in 4A prior, but I did look it up. They've won in 4A, 5A, and 6A. So say what you will about the multiplier and, and maybe playing down this year. It might not have mattered because they would have played in 5A and might have won that one. But uh, just an impressive, as always, an impressive program at Joliet Catholic um, and just really, really good players. I think they threw nine times and two of them were touchdowns. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Yep. Well, remember a few years ago when Joliet Catholic was down, but they certainly not for long. They are they are yep. back now. That program is certainly back on the map. Mitch, early uh, Saturday morning, class 5A the best uniform matchup, I think, yep. the, the best-looking game of the weekend. Fenwick gets the 34-15 to 15 win. Man, just a great look with Fenwick in the all-black uniform mm -hmm. and Kankakee in the all-white with the black helmet. Man, it was a, it was a really good-looking game anyway. So I saw, I saw a cool nugget on this, Greg. So that game was on Saturday at 10 a.m. Yep. When Fenwick left Oak Park, they stopped at the DeKalb Oasis, Okay. And that was around 7 a.m. And, and the coach, and I don't have his name, instructed his, instructed his team to just go crazy. Like, just make a bunch of noise. Make the bus <laughs> rock. He didn't want them showing up to the game and, and kind of playing asleep. Didn't want them to, you know, uh, try and be, uh, you know, not warmed up. So at, at 7 a.m., I don't know if they were in the bus or outside the bus, <laughs> what that sounded like. But at 7 a.m., and I think he did it on a whim. I think he just said, hey, we need to pull over quick and just told them to go nuts. It set the tone for the game, and they come out with the win, their first one in school history. Um, they were known for a passing attack. They've got a quarterback who's going to, to uh, Ball State, Caden Cobb. Had a good game, 11 of 18 for 146 yards and three scores. But I, maybe they caught the Ks off guard a little bit uh, because their running back, Danny Kent, had 31 carries for 212 yards and a touchdown. So, 
Um, again, normally a, a really spread out attack. They still showed that, but also uh, did a lot of work on the ground. And, and again, maybe caught the K's off guard just a little bit, showing that other wrinkle in their, in their dynamic offense. But either way, first state title in, in program history for Fenwick, so congrats to them. Yeah, I was watching a little bit of that game Saturday morning, and uh, yeah, Caden Cobb looked great. Like you said, Ball State commit. He looked really good. Um, really cool to see a team, you know, in Fenwick in this one, um, to, to see them celebrate their first state title in school history. You know, yeah. cool to see kids kind of acknowledge that moment of like, no one in our school's ever done this. It was yeah. fun. You know, a lot of genuine excitement, a lot of fun to watch in that one. Uh, Mitch, we already talked about Kerry Grove getting the win in 6A. We'll move along to 7 and 8A. 7A, Wheaton North, 35 to 6 over St. Rita. So, um, Mitch, I'm trying to remember. Let's see. I took. Oh, uh, we both took Rita. So we we thought I took. I thought I took Wheaton. Oh, I, well, I maybe I miss maybe I misremembered, but yeah, we're gonna have to listen back because I don't. <laughs> um, well, either way, Wilmington get or uh, uh, Wheaton North gets the win on the field. So uh, yeah. yeah, so they they get their first state championship since 1986. So a long time coming for the Falcons. St. Rita has an Ohio state bound running back named Caleb Brown. He didn't play all the regular season. He was hurt really kind of got into form in the playoffs. Uh, but, but the Falcons held the Mustangs to their lowest point total uh, of the season. Uh, so that defense was really on fire all night. That included a scoop and score as time expired in the first half. So uh, really, you know, if the game wasn't out of hand by then, that is just a dagger going into halftime. Falcon quarterback, Mark, for Coochie, I'm going to say, was 14-22, 302 yards and two touchdowns. So really uh, a little bit different from what we've seen in the other games being uh, ground heavy. Uh, the Falcons went to the air and uh, took care of business for uh, for this championship. Yep. So Wheat North gets the win. And Mitch, in Class 8A, the Lockport Porters, who we learned about what a porter yeah. is now. We learned about the Porters this week. Thank you to some of our uh, listeners on Twitter. Our, our Lockport fans helping us out. They get the 24 to six win over Park Ridge, Maine South. Um, 20, yeah, 24, six. So uh, a rematch of the 2003 class 8A state final. This one goes to Lockport. Yeah. So then they, and Lockport won that one as well. So, uh, you know, 18 years later, they're, they're playing again here. So it's the third championship in, uh, in program history for the Porters. They're running back Ty Schultz. He was over 200 yards, uh, and the Porter defense was strong all night. Uh, so, so yes, I'm going to try and remember this from memory. Okay, yes. Uh, because it's a bit of a redaction from my part because I didn't, one, know what a Porter was, and two, wasn't <laughs> sure what their, what their logo was. So Lockport is a canal town, and really it's the Illinois and Michigan Canal yes. that runs through Lockport. And that's really, you know, uh, back in those days was really kind of an indicator of, of how cities would get established just being uh, a city that you could, you could dock into. And so a Porter was someone who would make sure that the cargo would, would get on, uh, on or off ships. And so their helmet, if you remember, uh, has a, a logo that we, we, we assumed was a ship, but we just wasn't sure what orientation we were looking at it. Yes. Um, it it's as if you were looking at a barge face on, um, and, and I actually they, said that I thought it looked like a ship from the front. Okay. So I, I kind of had that half, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was wrong in this entire discussion. <laughs> um, and then obviously that, that ties into the, uh, the anchor on the back, uh, and the chain link going up the middle of the helmet. So yeah, we did get a history lesson there. 
Uh, they're very proud. They're very proud of their history there in Lockport uh, for good reason. So congrats to them once again on your, your third state championship in program history and, uh, and taking care of Maine South in this one, 24 to six. Yeah. So the, the direct message I had on Twitter yeah. to provide a little bit more the porters were the dock hands or the laborers who would pull the ships or the barges through the lock system in the canal. They were described as tough, rowdy, blue collar guys. So, you know, that is a porter and yes, the front, it's a front facing ship the logo yep. that's the design or the the way you're looking at it so um yeah and actually mitch i'm from ottawa illinois and the inm canal goes through ottawa so i was familiar with was familiar with the canal when he brought it up so there you go wonderful yeah. so so mitch that'll do it that yeah. that'll put a that'll put a wrap on the 2021 football season yeah. we've talked a lot about a lot of teams and a lot of players and a lot of games and uh, it's been it's been fun. Yeah, it it, it was really uh, you know it, it all kind of ended the way that we had hoped it would. One, you know, obviously having a state champion in our in our region, um, and two, like you kind of referenced earlier, just getting to this point, getting back to some normalcy, getting getting kids back on the field, competing for state championships. Great to see. It was a great two days uh, full of action. Um, you know, thanks to, to, uh, our, our friends on Twitter, uh, destination to Cal for all their help in, uh, in hosting, obviously at NIU for being a great host to the state championships. So, uh, yeah, all around a, a great weekend, uh, celebrating Illinois football. Yep. So Mitch, that will wrap up the regular season, but we're not done yet. We already yep. teased it a little bit earlier. We're going to take a bye week next week. We'll come back. We're looking at maybe December 14th. That'll be the day that will drop the podcast, our best from the West awards, our 2021 football season awards. Yep. We'll go through, you know, all the, the usual awards, the best player, best game. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll come up with some different categories. We haven't finalized anything yet. Yeah. We did this in the spring. I don't, I don't remember what our, what our uh, superlatives were. Yes. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be talking about team of the year, player of the year, game of the year. Um, and maybe we'll, we'll think of some other things that we'll talk about, but yeah, we'll, uh, while, while we're done talking about games, we'll, we'll wrap the season up one more time, uh, with that episode. And that'll be, that'll be a lot of fun to kind of reminisce about things that we saw, um, and, uh, and, and either highlights or players that we, that we liked. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to that. Yep. So a week off and then that'll be on December 14th and that'll probably wrap us up for our coverage through the actual year, 2021. Yeah. But Mitch, I think it's safe to say for, for me and for you, we're not going anywhere. We'll still be around. Mitch, yeah. you're all you're always on Twitter. You'll you'll be on Twitter throughout the offseason. So well, yeah, and I, you know, and I don't know that we're gonna talk about this on this show, but there's a lot of news already going with, with conference realignments and teams and things like that. So there's always gonna be news in the offseason that we're always gonna stay on top of. Um, you, you know, you never know what's gonna happen. If a team's gonna go to eight man, if a team's gonna go into a new conference. Maybe someone comes up with a new helmet. I don't know. Send it to us. We'll, we'll, we'll be on top of it. Well, and speaking of that, we said we're not going anywhere. We'll still have some episodes in the offseason. Mitch, we've already talked about it a long time ago on, on the uh, podcast, but I think you're, you're in for a, for a helmet or Uniview helmet uh, challenge here. Yeah, I think so. You know, we did, we did one for uniforms um, throughout all the conferences. And then we kind of, we, we tied it all together to get our favorites. 
um, which uh, still congrats to Oregon as the reigning champs of that. Yep. Uh, and probably will be until a lot of teams get new uniforms because there won't be any reason to do it again. But, <laughs> but we can still have separate ratings. I think we could do a best helmet. Oh, yeah. In the area because that's that, those are different rankings. Those are different rankings. It, it does not mean that the team that won best uniform is going to win best helmet because they are different. <laughs> there, yes. are, there are teams that have good helmets and bad uniforms and vice versa. So yeah, that would be a, that would be a fun way to, uh, to kind of talk about uh, uniforms in the off season. I, I can't wait. I'm already, I'm already scouting pictures on Google. We're going to, we're going to have some fun with that. We got to figure out who the best helmet is. So uh, yep. that'll be an off season project for sure. But Mitch, thank you so much for once again, joining me. Thank you so much for being all over Twitter for yep. pe- keeping our, keeping our Twitter peeps informed and, uh, you know, up to date on all the uniforms and the numbers and the final scores. I appreciate your efforts. Yeah. Well, and one, you know, when we started this back earlier this year, um, you know, I I remember we were getting excited that we had 10 followers and now we're, (laughs) we're almost at 900, which uh, again is is so much fun to see. It, It keeps the spirit alive. Um, so, uh, and, and thank you to, uh, this was your idea. So, you know, it was, it was great that you, you did this. Thanks to, to everyone from the score who helps us out to all the local yep. media, you know, um, that, uh, that we, that we've met along the way, uh, or that we, that we kind of collab with. Um, but, but most of all, thank you to all the fans, um, uh, of the teams and the players and the coaches who listen, uh, have been open to interviews, uh, in that nature. So, uh, makes makes this a lot of a lot of fun to do and uh we'll be we'll be coming back ready to go that's right so thank you to everyone who listens like mitch said we really appreciate everybody who uh you know listens in joins in on twitter stay tuned december 14th we'll be back with an updated episode and we'll be talking about the best from the west all the awards from this past football season and a great season it was thank you so much we'll see you then That'll do it for this week's episode of View from the West. Thank you so much for listening. I encourage you to go out to Apple Podcasts or Podbean and subscribe so you can follow along and downloads will come automatically every week. You can follow along on Twitter at ViewFromWestPod. You can also email me if you're interested in being a sponsor, ViewFromWestPod at gmail.com. 